no, I think he's maybe Chinese actually. Okay. Um, and the guy that plays Raiden is is Japanese. Huh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, but like out of that, aside from them, it's fucking all Australians. We really talked about Mortal Kombat on the beginning of our Crow episode. Yeah, we we can't stop. We seemingly can't stop talking about Mortal Kombat, Matt. This is not a good episode to talk about Mortal Kombat on. Well, I mean, like, I guess this is a serious episode, <laughs> <laughs> and not just because of the other reasons. This is serious because it's the Crow, <laughs> and it's it's sad. heavy. It's heavy. Oh god, just wait till you listen to our fucking episode about the book. Which you read the book, I'm Danny. very excited to read the book. Don't be. No, I am, because I know I'm going to get sad, but I need a good sad you don't right even, now. I, okay, I, I get that. I'm like, overdue I for I was a good excited sad. to read it, and but I didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. I started reading it, and I went, oh, I can't read this. <laughs> it's a bummer. Welcome back to Square Horror. I'm your Duke of Spook, Danny. I'm the spirit of vengeance, master of ceremonies, Matt. And today we're going to finally talk about The Crow. Yes, 1994's The Crow. And this is going to cap off our action horror foray, and it'll be one of the last things we do before Saw until August. Yeah, until we cover so, eight Saw movies for the next two months. <laughs> I think it'll be a great um, shift. Like, th- we've been very weird with the 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 pace of our episodes. Yeah. Like, we really bought, I feel like we bogged a lot of people down with the Resident Evil and the Underworld movies, and then we're just going to sadden them with this, with this and the man. next two episodes about this, and then it's Saw. So it's a lots big old roller coaster. It's a big, it's a big old soap opera. That's Saw. No, I'm talking about the way we're, oh. what we're putting everyone through. Well, that's It's a roller coaster. Then we're going to put them through a soap opera. But we're going to yeah. explain that we'll so We'll put them on a death coaster that's actually very interesting. It really is. <laughs> it's actually very interesting. But we'll save that for next week. So The Crow. The Crow. Danny. Yes. You never saw The Crow. No. Until we watched it. That together. was my first time watching the movie. Before but yeah, before we get into it, I just want to, I want to hear what you think of it. Because we didn't really talk about it. Yeah, we really did. Well, but you yeah, made it I had very, to go to bed yeah, so, well, so I was yeah. ready for finals. But you also made it very apparent that you really liked it. It was... Really visually stimulating, which I, having seen some of the pages from the graphic novel, I can't say is too surprising. I mean, it, there's no way they could have done a one to one, but mm-hmm. the way they did it was a very good aesthetic. Well, and the director initially wanted to do much more black and white with very limited colors, mm. which would have been really interesting. But I'm really glad I think it he would have didn't. been too early. It would have been too much. The Sin for City it. came out, I think, in like 2007, like earlier there around there. Yeah. And while I think those movies hold up, it is a little bit taxing mm. if you're kind of sick of it already. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I feel like if it was maybe another 10, 12 years, they maybe could have done it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I th- I really liked it. And I really don't know what was the thing that made me go, I really like this movie. But it was pretty early on. I was just like, okay, I'm in this. Let's let's keep yeah. going. I think that's kind of part of the allure and the magic of this movie is that it gets people in in a very hard to describe way. And I think that that's what they captured at least emotionally with the book is that that sort of um, raw emotional. You know, t- 
that raw emotional tax mm-hmm. that it that you get when you watch this or you read it, it's people get drawn to that because, like, I mean, God, I feel like God. I mean, I've made it worse too, but like. The term goth is very <laughs> bastardized and, like, kind of, like, it, it's kind of, obsc- like, it's kind of become obscure of, like, what that actually means. Mm-hmm. But the true spirit of it harkens back to gothic, like, poetry and art. And it, the modern, quote-unquote, goth is someone that, that it feels moved by that and by that aesthetic and brings that into the modern world. So yeah. what we saw with Underworld is it's a very um, antique-like aesthetic, but mm-hmm. it's it's morphed with this sort of modern touch. Yeah. Um, the Crow is the is the emo brother of that Victorian goth aesthetic because it, it envelops the music more. Yeah. In Underworld, the, the music was more on the soundtrack, but The Crow, it's, it's, it's intrinsically it. linked. Um, but, I mean, I so I, and I can tell you, I mean, you may not know exactly, like, what it is about it that you really, really liked. I mean, I immediately am like, I see the poster. Like, look up the poster, people. Like, look yeah. up the poster for The Crow. It's very, very striking, and it's so iconic. Mm-hmm. But, like, that there is, a, I'm just like, yes. Whatever this is, I am here for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and uh, just po- um, starting up the DVD with the menu... The very first image you see is from somewhere in the middle of the movie where he flicks a lighter and he burns yeah. a crow into the ground. It's that. And what, what and did it's you, so cool. What did you say? You were like, that is impossibly cool. Yeah. Like, during the movie. <laughs> like, I, I, I couldn't even strive to do anything that visually like interesting. I, I've seen that trope a couple of times in various media, and the crow is the only time that I think that it legitimately works. Well, yeah, because like they did it in uh, Dark Knight Rises. Oh, they did it in Daredevil Nolan. too, <laughs> in the, oh, the movie, yeah. not the show. You haven't seen the movie, you don't know. I've seen clips. I you know don't what even talking know. about. Don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know you haven't. Seen. <laughs> McGuire does too. I love Daredevil, no matter what medium it is. <laughs> um, speaking of Daredevil, though, uh, what's cool also about this and uh, what's also interesting about Darkman is they've taken action horror from a action-action movie of like what modern-day action movies would be, and they've turned it into the, the 90s image comic version of what action horror was. I don't yeah. know how well versed you are in in the comic world, especially of the nineties. I mean, the 80s. not overly, but <clears throat> there's well, there there was a big trend, especially it started over at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd Mc, not Todd McFarlane. Yeah, so yeah, Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane. I was gonna say Seth McFarlane. I'm like, that's nope, that's McFarlane. the wrong one. Todd McFarlane's the right one. Todd McFarlane. He created Spawn. That's so right. That we talk about it a lot on the uh, the comic book episode. I'm glad that Kevin is on that one, so yes. he can actually back up my fucking ramblings. But that, the aesthetic of comics in the late 80s and 90s was to become edgy. But that, this is before edgy was like a, a again, another bastardized term mm-hmm. in, in the social lexicon. It's before social media made it into something yeah, else. Yeah, which, which is unfortunate because it's the same thing that they're doing right now on, fuck, I'm getting an old man corner. Yeah. They're doing on TikTok <laughs> with these emos. I'm like, you're not emo. This is just, this is just sad. Like, emo <laughs> was, a, was a true art, you know. 
Uh, literally, I'm like, I'm 22 years old. I'm like, I literally am doing the, like, you kids don't understand how important <laughs> pop punk was back in the day. Now it's just like, you know, it's on Lollapalooza or whatever the fuck. Oh, God. We really are hitting our old man soapbox. I'm not even 30, but, like, I feel We're like... We're not what, even mid-20. I know, but I'm saying, like, no, I, I'm saying, like, The Crow is about 30 years old now. Yeah. Uh, or it will be in maybe two... Three years. Three years. Um... And, like, I feel like that's the aesthetic I missed. Where, like, I grew up, like, watching movies of, like, what high school and college was in the mid-2000s. So, like, mm-hmm. when I grew up, I was expecting that. And yeah. it just wasn't. I'm like, what do you mean? Where are all the battle of the bands? And, like, where are all the people that, like, are down to go see, like, punk shows? And, like, that's not popular. And I'm like, oh, oh man. man. Like, I just want to, like, I'm like, you know, I would make friends with the scene kids in high school. I'm sure a couple of them are listening, and they know who they are, and they know how special that time was. Um, but I'm like, man, this is the closest I'm going to get to, like, The Crow, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you know, and and you know what? It's not even as weird as it seems. Like, my mom, I found it was a huge fan of Depeche Mode, which is, like, a huge goth rock band huh. uh, of the 90s. And I'm like, Mom, hell yeah, Mom. Nice. She was, like, in college, like, yeah, we love Depeche Mode. I'm like... Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Of course. Yes. That's awesome. Like, I knew I got it from somewhere. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's enough of that bullshit. Um, the point is, that this is the world the crow belongs in. Yeah. It's it's a very much, like, it's of a time and a, a vibe and an aesthetic that has persisted. It's the, one of the main reasons, aside from, you know, the tragedies are with the movie, mm-hmm. why it's persisted this long. Yeah. And because it's got, it's kind of got the whole market cornered. It's got the, you know, the punk, you know, industrial new metal of the 90s market. It's got the, you know, goth fantasy, like the, the romantic fantasy stuff cornered. It's got the action got movie, the action comic set. aesthetic of the underground at the yeah. time. Well, and it coming it coming off of the coattails of Batman and Batman Returns directed by Tim Burton, I think Holy shit, really I didn't even think inspired about that. audiences to like oh this my movie. God. And think about that. The the soundtracks for most of those movies are the same soundtrack in the crow. Yeah. Like um you two wrote like the song for Batman Forever and it's yeah. just like off the crow and, soundtrack. Well, yeah, and that was just a year after this. Oh my god, everything makes so much it sense all about connects. why the way I am the way I am. <laughs> Because all I did when I was a kid was watch those movies, and, like, all of that, like, aesthetic I thought went over my head, but it just created me like a Frankenstein's monster. It just seeped into your blood. Like how Jade from Victorious did the same thing with you. <laughs> I'll put, let that pass. I'll put you on blast, because... <laughs> yeah, you're really I, calling me yeah, out today. Well, I already embarrassed myself. <laughs> I need you to be on my level. Especially because I'm about to get, like... Really pathetic when I talk about how much this movie means to a very specific type of person that I also like empathize yes. with. It's just like, oh man. Especially because I've again, if if the listeners have listened this long and haven't figured out that I'm just like a sad, broken, like wannabe oh. goth kid, th- like by this point they are they're missing out. Yeah. Like all of Underworld was just me being like, I wanna be in that world. <laughs> and I want to be Eric Draven, but not in the ways... I will <laughs> never get over just how... I love that name. Eric Draven, Eric Draven. is the cool... It's, it's, it's the quintessential goth name. Yeah. It's like being named Dante. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, right. It's like, um... 
I said, what was it? Was it Taylor or was it Elizabeth that said that um, they knew a kid growing up named Draven? I think it was uh, Elizabeth who yeah. was saying that. Well, because that's, I mean, clearly there was that kid's parents are a fan of the crow. Absolutely, because you wouldn't come up with that awesome. otherwise. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, you know, it's like naming a kid's, like a, like a kid, like, you know, I can't even think of any goth names anymore. Um, I know my uncle, uh, before he, before he had kids, really wanted to have a son named Dante for, like, that the literary cool. nerd thing, uh-huh. and his wife was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I get that. I get, like, wanting that, you know, oh, yeah. like, embodiment of, you know, what that is. Uh, but it's like, you know, aside from that, you've got, I mean, you, to go for Eric Draven, mm-hmm. there is no point that this movie doesn't lean into its like what it's trying to be oh like it doesn't it never shies away from because again this is before all of this was like hack Mm -hmm. or like not cool yeah this this hit i think at the perfect time i mean that's the only reason that this exists yeah because of the subculture of you know underground stuff in the 90s it's the reason we talked about with rob zombie it's the reason rob zombie exists Mm -hmm. like we would not have so many cool things if the world hadn't been like super chill for a decade and for everyone to go this shit sucks let's make something cool and different that's right (laughs) and everything got not okay and now we've just got a bunch of bullshit (laughs) yeah yeah making america goth again that's all i'll say that's all I'm gonna say. Oh my That's god. my political take for the episode. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Alright, do you wanna get into this movie? Yeah, now let's, that we've let's just like gushed about it. Yeah, now that we gushed about it for minutes, ten minutes. Yeah. Let's actually talk about it. So the crow, if you don't already know, I mean it's it's a big pop culture touchstone, um, especially if you are in like, you know, the the comic scene or the peripheral like horror world scene you know mm-hmm. like this isn't really a horror film say, as much it's like a it's a vigilante like revenge movie yeah i definitely think this one's a bit more of a stretch than some of the other action horror movies we've talked about yeah. in terms of being an action horror yeah. movie but i think it's still so important to talk about this movie on in the kind of broadcast where we're hosting because I think this because we is, have the say so to talk about the crow we have the say so and I think it's just I think it does fit the aesthetic especially if someone who's trying to get into horror oh, I think holy this is a shit, great yeah. stepping stone because it's yeah. not gory it's not overly scary I mean it's th- it's a really compelling story and that yes. is what's at the heart of it the heart is the emotional arc yeah. of the movie. Yes. It's not, is it scary? Is it horrifying? Is it going to make you throw up from the gore? No. It's none of those things. It's, this man has gone through the worst experiences, and now he's coming to terms with it. Yeah. And in a way that seamlessly moves scene to scene from, like, holy shit, that was awesome, to, like, to like that's really sad. Yeah. And, I mean... The movie isn't perfect. I I guess I'll come out and say that. Sure, whatever. But like, even though you know some of the writing may not be perfect or like the pacing may be weird, it's you feel the emotions that the directors and the writers want you to feel. Oh, absolutely. And you feel them no matter who you are. Because mm-hmm. like, I mean, we haven't shown this movie to a lot of. Um, I'll use the the term normies. 
we haven't showed that to a lot of them, but I feel like anyone anyone that sees this movie can appreciate it for what it is and understand the vibe of what like this whole subgenre is like why it's so attractive to people. Absolutely. Like it's sometimes hard for people to kind of come, you know, and meet on a similar level because sometimes art has the you know, you need to understand like or get it in order to enjoy it. And it's like, well, you know, you don't have to get the crow. They, they tell you what you need to do. Yeah. And it's like, if you're, if you already like that stuff, they're just like, okay, well, you'll enjoy the music and like the snarky like gothisms that mm-hmm. Eric Draven has. Or well, yeah, he's just like know. waxing poetry yeah. throughout his experiences as the crow. Uh, which is we'll so get cool. to my two favorite lines and how they're the two like spectrums of goth like how it's it's either like super stick it to the man like snarky smarminess and like legitimately beautiful sad yes oh god man i fucking love the girls (laughs) like this is like what i live and breathe for is like this type of thing well yeah and we could literally sit here i truly could i'm glad that we're not going i'm glad that we're trying to be on track yeah um, so, like you said, 94, the movie came out. It was originally made in 93, but due to some circumstances that we'll touch on briefly, uh, it was released, delayed. it was delayed. And so, I mean, for those that don't know, The Crow is, a man is brutally murdered and comes back to life as an undead avenger uh, to avenge his and his fiance's murder. Mm-hmm. Now, Eric Draven, who is the aforementioned victim of this of this crime is living with his fiance Shelley in Detroit in the 90s mm-hmm. uh which is about the worst place you could be living in at the like one of the worst places you could be living in at the time mm-hmm. um and and I was it, I was glad that you didn't know this but it takes yeah. place on Devil's Night which I know a lot about mm-hmm. because it's a fucking crazy ass real thing that happens uh, where so Halloween, you know, is is on the October thirty first, mm-hmm. and the night before, the thirtieth has no- normally, uh, like culturally, been known as Mischief Night or like any number of names. <clears throat> that essentially is more like, quote unquote, like adult times Halloween. Yeah. I mean, now Halloween's like for everybody, but like back in the day when it was more like the Halloween part was like the kids, the and, kids. and you know, the, it was more like about you know. Just more celebratory. Yeah. The mischief night was more for like the tricks as opposed to the yeah, treats. The trick versus the treat. It's like you do pranks, you scare people, you do all that fun stuff. And in Detroit, they call it Devil's Night, which, first of all, hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, their idea of pranks is uh, mass arson. Yeah. Lots of fun. And I, I, I looked it up once and I don't remember how it started. But I know that from, like, the mid, like, early to mid-70s, up until now, it has been, like, a huge problem, like, for Detroit. Oh, my God. To the point that in the 90s, the city implemented Angels Night, which is essentially, like, a community-led program of, like, neighborhood watch to be, like, you know... If there's a people outside, there will be less fires, and they can be more proactive about stopping them before they you know, burn down all of Detroit. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's it's mostly effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, the fires have gone down to quote-unquote normal levels. 
I which is I still know what normal it's levels still are. it's still a lot of fires. Yeah. So like Detroit, they celebrate. I mean, I'm not. Gonna, it's not okay that they burn buildings down, but oh god, it is extremely cool in a movie. Like if you look at it solely from a movie yes. perspective, for a story yes, purposes, I understand cinematography. Yes. I, I, I know Arson. I know Arson is very interesting. But in terms of real life, yes, it's, it's terrible, it's horrible. It's, people lose their homes. It's it's bad. I know. However, <laughs> it is very interesting culturally um, and cinematically. Well, I think it's, it's very, very cool that they did use something that is real yeah. to ground this very unreal story. And I think it was because that was probably right around the time that that was becoming a national, like, a story. Like, like mark on yeah, the country. Yeah. is like, why does America just burn its own cities down on the 30th? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we probably should, like, kind of talk about it. Like, we should, like, maybe, like, let more people know that this, like, actually happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Taylor talked about it, but she was like, this city reminds me of Gotham from yeah. Batman. Like, it's just so desolate. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, anyone who's anyone has, like, locked themselves down during the night times, well, especially yeah. on Devil's Night or Halloween, because it's just so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's just criminals yeah, roaming there's around. People who will always be roaming around and just ready to pick a fight. It's fucking Arkham Knight, dude. It's, it's Arkham literally Knight. Arkham Knight. It's Arkham Knight and the Purge. Yeah, well... I think the purge. It's because again, we'll get into the, the purge, purge eventually, because it's not about doing cool shit. Even though it's should be about that, it's about sending a message. But with Arkham Knight, it's literally just go fucking crazy, and the only thing that stands between the city and annihilation is this man who is bending the rules, somewhat selfishly, but for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is who Eric Draven is. So yeah, after, yeah. so, and it, it's also just really sad, the circumstances of what happens to them, because we should, men- I'll mention it in a bit when we get to the cast of it, but Ernie Hudson is in this. Yes. From Ghostbusters. Yes. <laughs> um, and her, he's playing, there's like a beat cop who was, a, who was originally the responding officer, um, the night that, uh. That Eric Shelley and Eric, and Eric were murdered. Yeah, and the way that he pieces together, like you know, the reasoning of what happened for Eric's and his own sake, you know, we come to find out. And I, I think, like, I don't want to talk a whole lot about just how the movie ends, but I feel <laughs> like the way that we can discuss this movie is all of the given circumstances and how, like, to get people in the vibe. Yeah. So I do want to talk about what happened to Eric and Shelley, because <laughs> um, I mean, you have this whole environment of. Of, of bleak, you know, anger and, and just raw emotional expression. Mm-hmm. And in the center of it, in their own little, like, you know, chrysalis is Eric and Shelley, who have this, like, loft apartment in, like, the shitty part of town, in a mm-hmm. shitty building. You know, the whole block is run by gangs and, and whatnot, you know, who, like, control their rent. And it, it's like yeah. the mob. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Shelly, who is someone who is already just like, she's the antithesis of what the crow is, where it's where the crow is complete sorrow and and you know vengeance. She is only love and forgiveness. She's the light to Eric's darkness. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so fucking goth. <laughs> just so much of that. But she 
in her, you know, optimistic hubris decides that she's going to do something about their circumstances mm-hmm. and, you know, forms a petition for the residents to be like, hey, maybe, like, let's get treated well. Like, let's mm-hmm. not have to pay criminals, you know, to yeah. live here. And, you know, all of the flashbacks. Let them just make us safe. Yeah, it's like, hey, can you, like, not <laughs> terrorize us, please? So, and, you know, all of the flashbacks Eric has are just every second of his life with Shelly was happiness. Mm-hmm. There was not a single time where either of them didn't fail to make the other one happy, which, you know, goals. is awesome. It's <laughs> and it's goals. Yeah. <laughs> but inevitably, it has to be snuffed out because the artist had a vendetta against the world. Yeah. And, you know, had a crushing sense of guilt and needed to destroy something that was good to help him move on. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, it's just so sad, but it's so good. But the way that they do it isn't, you know, a freak accident, which is a whole other kind of sad. And, like, it's this arbitrary, just the world is cruel sort of thing. It's a directed attack on their world from the world outside. Mm -hmm. So Eric has tried his best to shut away the world around him and focus on... Yeah, and focus on Shelly because that's what's making him happy, so... You know, they're ramping up to their wedding on Halloween, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Which also awesome. Yeah. Then the cop's like, who the hell gets married on Halloween? And we were like, like we would. The coolest people. Um, shut up. <laughs> uh, so the night before their wedding, um, the the gangbanger that runs their, their, their neighborhood, or most of the city, mm-hmm. uh, Top Dollar, who's got a whole weird thing going on yeah. the point is that he is in charge of gangsters and he sends his like crew of yeah, he sends you know, his lackeys. yeah yeah like he sends his like joker mm-hmm. to like you know make an example of these people yeah so no one else will so the night before their wedding uh these guys break into their apartment they shoot eric you know they rape and murder shelly and they throw eric out of the like, out of a window. Yeah, out of the window. From the loft, so yeah. multiple stories up. Yeah, so they... And what I didn't notice until last night is... Uh, I don't... It, Detective uh, Abershade or something? It's like Albright, but it's spelled weird. <laughs> Ernie Hudson is... Yeah. Uh, you know, when he tells Eric what happened to Shelly, he's like, she held on for 30 hours and then died. That's, like, how long... You know, he probably was also... Just like fucking hanging out. Well, yeah, he was there the whole time. Yeah, which is a whole thing with, um, which is why Ernie Hudson, when uh, Eric Draven shows back up as the crow, he feels this, this almost connection to him to be like, I understand why you're doing this. He's like, you were there. He's like, you're because he's also kind of in the same sense of Eric. Like Eric shut out the world because like I have got this. But, uh, well, the detective, he's not a detective, he's just a cop, but he feels some moral obligation on top of his job to just do something good. Yeah. Like, I mean, after Sarah loses fucking everybody, he's like, you know what, I'm gonna start, like, just looking out for her. Because it's the least I, because I can't do anything about this situation. Yeah. This is the least I can do. So, you know, he's this... The, the sense that he has for his community and for just... 
he just gives people a break. He's like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's the least I can do is try to help them mm-hmm. when, you know, the world's just ripped everything from them. Yeah. So, although our movie's gonna take place a year later on Devil's Night, uh, the year following, and The Crow, who is this kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of like, omni- not omnipotent, but just kind of, this kind of shady... It's it's almost know. like a mythical creature yeah. that just, just, that I think, as they put it in the movie, I think it was, was um, um, brings Eric's soul back yeah. into his body for one night. It, like, it, it finds souls that it feels have been, like, wronged beyond measure, and it brings them back for the opportunity to write that wrong. And Eric breaks out of a grave to a, you know, amplified guitar riff. Mm-hmm. In, you know, the in the rain, of course. Crows fucking there. They used ravens for it because ravens are bigger ravens birds. Are bigger and they look cooler on screen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Which is true. I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. that. Well, and I think it's really interesting that Eric Draven goes through so many opportunities—not opportunities. He goes through so many flashbacks of the things that happened when he was alive that he probably would never have remembered. Like, he relives the night of the murders when he's in their apartment, and it, it it's horrifying to watch him in that current time relive his physical, um, his physical, like, positions from that night. That is a very cool scene when he's in his apartment, and... He- because he's got, like, some kind of psychometric uh, ability where he can touch things and people and read the emotional memory behind it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Normally, I mean, it, it's most of that have to do with him. Uh, and, you know, it's like, so he'll touch the mirror and he'll remember when, like, he and Shelly were happy. Mm-hmm. And immediately lashes out at that memory because... The, they don't get as much into it with the movie, but the comic goes to great lengths to talk about how the crow spirit is not one of, like, the vengeance that it's delivering is not... It's not just straight It's anger. not justice, it's retribution. Yeah. There is no part of it that is supposed to do good. All it does is take back... Like, if we ever cover, cover Pumpkinhead, the, like, that's the central tenet of Pumpkinhead, is it's a... And uh, you know, like a, an animated, a reanimated demon that just kills whatever the object of your revenge is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do anything else. That is all it does. Yeah. yeah. The crow, you know, it brings a soul back to life on the the pretense that that person will do nothing but, but destroy. Well, and they will destroy themselves to destroy their rage. Mm-hmm. And Eric is not that sort of person. He's learning. You know, he's got all these other emotions and feelings about it, and you know the way the reason that Eric Draven is a special like person that the Crow Spirit has reanimated is that he does good with his abilities. <laughs> he saves people. He goes and you know he tries to do the right thing. Yeah. And as he's getting these emotional memories back, they are kind of changing his programming. Yeah, it's almost dehumanizing yes. this vengeful yeah. deity. The, and you'll see in the book that the, the vengeful deity has, it's almost worse in the sense that it's, it lashes out more 
and from the surface, it seems like it doesn't have an emotional core. Mm-hmm. It will talk in verse. Like, Eric will talk in, in all of these very sad poems. But once you see into its, like, soul, once you see into Eric's memory, yeah. all, of, all, all of it is sorrow. Mm-hmm. So the only thing, like, fueling its fires is the sorrow that when Eric looks at it, it makes him angry and it motivates him to be the crow. Yeah. So it's this cycle of, it's almost in a way a beautiful cycle of what the author is feeling where <laughs> the sorrow is just making him angry and he can't do anything with that anger. Yeah. That's why he made the crow. It's like the, the crow is fueled by the anger that the sorrow is, is creating. <laughs> and it's it can do something about it. It can come back to life and it can yeah. it can right wrongs. It can do the things I couldn't. It couldn't do, yeah, it can do the things that this person can't. Um... And I, I mean, that really. It had to have been really cathartic to write it, but oh it my god, did. it also has to be so hard well, to watch that go through iterations. We talk, about, yeah, we talk about it on the book episode, but it was in a way cathartic until Brandon Lee died. Yes. And then it just re, it just collapsed in on itself <laughs> because then it's like it doesn't make, it didn't make me feel better. It yeah, didn't. Yeah. It just. Like yeah, you know, for a time he probably thought it only it only destroyed more people. Mm-hmm. Like the thing I made to help me only does like it's not making anything better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and on that note, I, I guess we could talk we about the people that. behind it. Yeah, I think we can talk <laughs> about that. So okay, the director is a guy by the name of uh, Alex Proyas. <clears throat> he was a big time music video director back in the day, back in like the the nineties. Um, his big hits include Dark City, Knowing, which is a Nicolas Cage movie, uh, I, Robot, with Will Smith, and Gods of Egypt, which came out in 2016. He's a big-time, like, TV commercial editor. Like, he makes a lot of, like, shorter, snappier things, which is why the movie looks very, uh, again, like, like kind of like what we talked about with, um, what were the movies that looked more like music videos? They were shot like that. It was the first uh, Underworld, I think. I think so. Because it's, it's the same and, sort of and, thing. And frankly, I think the first Resident Evil 2. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of action horror, especially, again, of that time period, that was what was cool and flashy. And it, it that was just what they... Uh, yeah, it was what was cool. It was what was cool. Yeah, and uh, in addition to the comic inspired by James Obar, you've also got David J. Show and John Shirley. Um, John Shirley... Has written for um, a couple TV shows. He's written for the animated Spawn series um, and a couple of like mid '90s shows, uh, the RoboCop cartoon, uh, oh, Batman Beyond. Yeah, Batman Beyond, and the um, Nickelodeon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's so weird to me, man. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he also says he's written a lot of novels, short stories, and whatnot, uh, so he's, you know, he probably, he's got that, you know, comic book artist type, you know, uh, drive to, like, yeah, that's yeah. how he writes them. And David J. Show has uh, some, some interesting ones here, too. He wrote, um, like, three, he wrote Critters 3 and 4. Okay. Uh, he showed up as an actor in the miniseries version of The Shining. Okay. And, oh, was the last one? He wrote for Freddy's Nightmares, and he wrote um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4. 
I think. The beginning? Or... No, well, he wrote, uh, no, sorry, three. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Oh, and he know. wrote the re the prequel remake. Oh, okay. Because, like, they remade it in, like, 2002 or three or something. Yeah, something yeah, like that. And then they, they had, like, a prequel to that movie in 2006 that he did. He's also currently writing for Creep Show on Shudder. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, and, and so he's got some very interesting uh, horror movies also in his repertoire mm-hmm. that he did after this. Yeah, yeah. So, of the of the cast, um, most notably, we can talk about Brandon Lee, who, is, who plays Eric. Uh, Brandon Lee is the son of Bruce Lee, who's, like, the god of martial arts mm-hmm. in, in America. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, I don't know if people have seen, like, if they don't really know who, who uh, Bruce, Lee. Bruce Lee is. I mean, Liu Kang from Mortal Kombat is based, based on, on him. him. I mean, any, like, kung fu guy who goes like, Whoa! like, that's, that's based, based on, Bruce, on Bruce, Lee. Bruce Lee did that. Um, so his son, Brandon, uh, has been, he was also a martial artist. Uh, he's been, he did a couple of martial arts movies. Uh, like Rapid Fire, like Laser Mission, but all these like early '90s, late '80s movies, and then mm-hmm. The Crow was unfortunately his last movie uh, because Brandon Lee died during the making of The Crow. Yeah, he Very died famously, he died on set. Um, we could go into how, but we're gonna save that for a bonus episode. Um, just because want, there's a lot to a lot to unpack, and we yeah. want to make sure we're, we're getting into everything we yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. But I mean that. I mean, like as I said before, like the 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 kind of cult following of the movie with the vibe of of the '90s. That in conjunction with the you know infamous death of Brandon Lee is what has <laughs> has perpetuated the crow in you know in, in modern times. Yes. Uh, yes. Ernie Hudson is Albrecht, who is the, uh, the, the, the guy, yeah, again, he's Winston in Ghostbusters. Um, he's done some other stuff, like, in modern times, but, like, that's his big thing, is that he, he was in Ghostbusters. Um, I also want to highlight Michael Wincott, who's top dollar. Michael Wincott was in uh, Alien Resurrection. Uh, he's also been in Westworld, and he does some voiceover stuff, like, from uh, Darksiders. Ooh. And Halo Two, he's also in Treasure Planet. <laughs> Treasure Planet. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't like a main character, but like he's but one he's of the, there. Yeah, he's in he's in Treasure Planet. That's awesome. Um, the uh, other guys like uh, in his crew, you got uh, Angel David is Skank, Lawrence Mason's Tintin, David Patrick Kelly is T Bird, and uh, Michael Massey is Fun Boy. And we'll talk about him when we talk about the the death of Brandon Lee as well. And we also have. Tony, Tony Todd. Todd. Tony Todd is uh, obviously Candyman in the Candyman movies. He's the voice of Darkseid in the Justice League, like the DC animated movie universe. Um, and he's going to be in the remake of, or like the reboot remake of uh, Candyman as Candyman. Because. <laughs> You're not going to make a Candyman movie without Tony Todd. It's just not done. Yeah, yeah. Because he just has an iconic voice. He's Candy. He's Candyman. He, he, he can't replace him. Yeah. He, he, just, just he just oozes sex appeal, though. Even when he's like, doesn't really have a lot to do in this movie, he just stands there just, like, just, like, in his, like, beret, just being all hot, like, <laughs> mysterious. And the, like, um, so... I mean, the, the the making of this movie was, again, we'll talk more about when we talk about 
you know, the, the circumstances of, of Brandon Lee's death. Um, but I will say that we were looking at um, just when this movie came out, because Top Dollar's big thing is that he looks like a vampire. He and I'm like, man, he dresses like an Anne Rice vampire from Interview with a Vampire. When did that come out, Danny? I believe it came out in 1995. The very next no, year. it was 94. It was the same year. It was the same, year. Right. It was the same exact year. Uh, God, it's just so funny. Because he, he's got a whole thing going on with his sister. It's weird. I think that was supposed to be the like link to the comics that they talk more about like the the actual magical roots of what was going on. Yeah. yeah. Which is cool. Um, I mean, it's not as, I feel like, maybe not as important. Mm-hmm. It's a little confusing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just um, kind of funky. I do want to talk, at least for me personally, uh, we can do one and one and one and one. Uh, just favorite scenes in this movie. Like, if you could pick two um, that are not the ones I'm going to say. <laughs> I'll try. Okay. Because, um, like, I, I will give you shit on me. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Um, so my, my two favorite scenes are the aforementioned, like, two spectrums of what I believe, like, gothisms are. Um, one of them being when he goes and talks. To, like, he is on his way. He's roaming the streets. And he runs into Sarah, who is kind of like the surrogate, like, street child that him and Shelly kind of took in. They looked after her. Um, and after they died, she kind of just was on her own. Uh, and she runs into Eric on the street. And Eric, at this point, has painted his face like a jester in that very famous look. Um, so she doesn't really recognize him. And again, he's also dead. So, yeah. like, they're not going to be like, you're Eric Draven. Um, she runs into him uh, on her skateboard because she's cool. Yeah. <laughs> she says, heck the rules. Uh, and uh, so, you know, he runs into her. She's like, you know, like, he actually saves her from getting hit by a car. Uh, you know, she's yelling at that guy. And he's like, like, he's remembering who she is as he touches her. And, you know, she's like, oh, you know, weird looking guy. You know, I guess thanks, you know. And she heads away and, you know, starts to rain. She's like, man, I just wish the rain would stop. And he looks at her and quotes one of his songs. Like, because he's in a band. Of course he was. Of course he was. Uh, and uh, he looks at her and he says, it can't rain all the time. Which, um, if you didn't just get chills, you're wrong. <laughs> because, well, and, and think about what that line means for a second. You've got, I mean, first of all, it's the, you know, it's, it's the perfect kind of, like, optimistic, like, shred. This movie's got a lot of heavy-handed, not heavy-handed, just heaviness <laughs> in it. And it has a, it, and it always points those those moments with a, a moment of there's like a shred of light. <laughs> um, and this is my favorite one because it's kind of this, you know, the world outside that the Detroit, the, the hellscape Detroit that they live in is nothing but nightmares. <laughs> and it's on fire on this night and it's raining and it's just fucking miserable. And yeah, it's yeah. all of this stuff. But all of it is temp- like lat like rain is temporary, and all bad things you know eventually go away. So I think that's a fucking awesome line, and uh, it's it gets me in the feels. The other one is the opposite of that, because <laughs> you know Eric Draven is a goth icon, which means he's got some tood to him, some attitude. <laughs> 
So when he goes to interrogate Funboy and to kill him, you know, Funboy is is kind of he's making some time with Sarah's mom. Uh, you know, they're they're upstairs, and he goes to see him. Shows up. I mean, that whole scene is fucking amazing. He's yeah, just yeah. like owning everything. But the one bit of it I do want to highlight is, you know, Funboy's like threatening him with a gun. He's already shot him, and Eric, I don't know if we've talked about, like, he's got supernatural abilities. He can heal, I mean, in addition to that, you know, emotional psychometry he's got, he's pretty much invincible, and the crow is, like, the source of his power. So he can be shot, stabbed, whatever, he'll be fine. So as he gets shot, you know, I don't remember what he says, something to the effect of, like, why don't you just die? Jesus Christ, why don't you just die? And Eric's like, Jesus Christ, stop me if you've heard this one. And the whole time he's just getting shot more and more and more. He goes, Jesus Christ walks into a hotel. He hands the innkeeper three nails and he says, can you put me up for the nights? First of all, it's funny. I think it's really funny. And it, it, it just encapsulates that sort of like, it's not really like gallows humor. It's just kind of like... Edge, it's edgy humor. Yeah, before it was like, you know, there was no class to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I told you this story last night. Uh, when I went to the emotional so late on Halloween a couple years ago, <laughs> they obviously loved the crow. The lead singer dressed up as the crow. They had the movie playing on a projector behind them the whole time. It ruled. And so before um, one of my favorite songs, uh, he. He says the joke, and I feel like a lot of people in the crowd maybe didn't get it, but they just go like, yeah, like, whatever. And he read the crowd, so he's just like, he finished it with, can you put me up for the nights? This one's called Reincarnate. Like, he just, like, <laughs> goes, like, never mind. And so, so you were too young to understand, like, where that came from. So, no, I think that both of those lines really typify, like, what this movie why it's so appealing to me. <laughs> so what about you? Um, so I think I, I definitely have two scenes that can just jump to the top of my mind when you ask me what are some of my favorite things. And frankly, one, one of the first one that came to my mind is that moment where he's, he's gotten to his apartment for the first time since, since, since he's been reincarnated and he's going through this horrible journey inside and when, when they threw him out of the, out of the out of the window that one time, back when he died, he holds on to the top of it, cutting his hands, and he comes back in, and it's the first time he realizes he can heal himself, and that's when he has, has the realization that he can't do something now, because now he can't hurt him. That silhouette of him later, when, when Sarah shows up, that's like... Fucking, I want a tattoo of that shit. Yeah. Because it's him standing, like, silhouetted against this, like, big, round, broken window with the bird on the ledge, and he just <laughs> looks back. And you would think that it's threatening, but the first thing he does from that is he hugs Sarah. Yeah. So it's it's a big... I mean, that whole apartment is a huge emotional center for him. It's, I mean, it's where he plays that cool solo on yeah. the roof. I'm like, yeah, man, fucking cool. <laughs> Um, and then the, the other scene, scene is when he comes to a pawn shop. I love that scene which, so much. I don't know if it was, if it was initially intended to be as comedic as I found it to be last night. It's just the repetition of it that's so funny. <laughs> but but he's, he's just given this pawn shop owner a hard time because he, he, that pawn shop owner works with all the people who, who 
killed him back a year ago, and he just destroyed the shop trying to get his engagement ring Because it's after they killed Shelly, they pawned their wedding, their engagement ring to this place. And so basically, Eric Griffin, acting as a pro, stabs the guy into his own display case, and it's like, so just tell him that death is coming for And then just use to mess with the place, and punch up on her. All he can say is, like, just like, shit on me! Well, the first time he says it is after he shoots Eric, and he heals, and he goes, oh, shit, 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 shit on me! Like, oh, man. And I had to expect Eric to go, like, okay. And, like, do that. Because it's just, just, I don't think it was intentionally hilarious. But, oh, my God, it was that perfect blend of, like, legitimate fear. Legitimate fear and just, I couldn't stop laughing. No. Until Eric decides, I'm done here. And he gives the bottle of water just sometimes to leave. Is that gasoline I smell? Yeah. It's just, Because how does he light the pawn shop on fire, Danny? Uh, uh, he, he takes, takes the, the, the engagement rings, rings, rings into a shotgun gun and shoots it into the pawn shop. Uh, like sparks the which sparks gasoline when he was spreading it there. there. And oh my god, that's so cool. Yeah, and immediately after is the first time Albrecht meets him as the crow. And, I mean, all, I mean, Eric again just keeps spitting mad pieces at him. He's like, you know, freeze. And he like keeps moving, or he just like stop right there. He's like, I thought cops usually said freeze, and he just keeps moving. He's like, dude, I said you're walking, like you're a dead man. He's like, I'll raise you one better. I'm a dead man, and I walk. Fuck yeah, man! Hell yeah! Everything Eric says rules. By the way, like when he shows up at the Top Dollar's hideout, and like all the dudes are there. He sits there, and they're like, fuck this guy. He's like, I just want him. And then they all shoot him, and he does like a V Vendetta where it's like, ow. And then kills all of them. Yeah, I, I just... Everything in this movie, like, that builds anything in it, like, if it builds towards Eric, or it builds towards Albrecht's, you know, is in his investigation, or it builds Sarah's relationship with, with anybody, or, you know, it, it, the, the fear, very much like Batman, the fear that builds in Top Dollar's crew, as they're like, some guy's, like, hunting us down, and, like, we think he might actually be immortal, and, you know, it's that crazy thing that right before he kills all of them, they remember who he is. Yeah. Which is fucking terrifying. <laughs> well, and well, I think I, think I can, can speak for the both of us at this point. point. Um, um, we can't recommend this movie. Yeah, yeah. If, clearly, if you've listened this far and you're not going to watch it, like, I don't know what else we can say yeah, yeah, other like, than like, please, for the love of God, watch it. Yeah, yeah. It's currently on HBO. Um, all the sequels are, too. And we're going to cover Which those we'll cover in one episode. Because I don't... I don't know. You know, I haven't heard a lot of good things about City of Angels, and I haven't heard anything about the other two. Which makes me think that they're probably not good. Listen, listen, all I know is David Boreas is the last one, and I can't wait. Well, we know that um, the guy that played Matt in Resident Evil is the crow in uh, Salvation with Kirsten Dunst. And Edward Furlong from T2 is in the is in uh, Wicked Prayer, mm-hmm. opposite David, David Boreanaz, and um, what's her name? Uh, I don't remember. She's uh, one of the women. She's like one of the main characters in the American Pie franchise. 
Yeah. <laughs> She's been in other stuff too, but I just most recently saw her. Tara her name is Tara Reed, yes. Um, yeah, so we're going to be doing those. We also uh, we pre recorded an episode about the graphic novel with my cousin Steph, who's been on the show before, and Kevin. Uh, so, I mean, I also would highly recommend reading it. Danny, you're going to read it very soon. Um, and yeah, I, I think that my last thing I can say about The Crow is. Uh, when a movie comes along with this much, like, persisting cult, you know, base with it, <laughs> there's usually a reason for it. Yeah. And if the first thing you hear isn't, like, you know, like, The Room has a huge cult base, <laughs> but it's because it's terrible. Yeah. yeah. The Crow has a cult base, and a lot of people can't really describe why? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just because it emotions are already on a base hard to explain, and when you see something that really exemplifies a, a very hard to, to process emotion, which is grief and, and, and anger <laughs> of the grief, once you find something that that is like that, it's like I mean, we spent fucking an hour and a half talking about that with Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Like when someone is able to capture emotion like that, it's very special. Um. It just happens to be, you know, masquerading as, like, a vigilante superhero movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is not a vigilante movie, like, a superhero movie at all. It's, you know, the, the furthest thing from. Uh, much like uh, Darkman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, do you have any last thoughts on The Crow? I, I, it's so good. I'm glad you really like it. It's so good. <laughs> I, I just can't, can't say it enough. enough. Truly. Like, yes. like, <laughs> just, just, uh, it's, it's so good. It is really good. Follow our Instagram at the underscore square over podcast. And we're going to go out on um, a cu- uh, song by The Cure. Because, I mean, obviously, this movie's soundtrack is just as prolific. Uh, the soundtrack, the whole soundtrack is on Spotify. Um, if you're looking to get into the vibe of what this movie is like, and you don't have HBO, listen to this album. Uh, it's it'll get you in the mood. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. So until next time. Camera and all the time. It's good to be out there.